This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Better Call Paul is a production of Lola Media. Say hi, Lola. Hey, everyone. This is Paul Sarker from Better Call Paul. Just wanted to remind you that the show is intended for entertainment purposes only and is not legal advice. I am not your lawyer unless we separately agree for me to represent you. And the views expressed by Mesh and me are solely our own. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Better Call Paul, the show where we discuss the legal and business side behind the scenes of Hollywood sports and entertainment. I'm your co-host, Paul Sarker, former Marvel lawyer, current Greenberg Traurig media attorney. And I'm your other co-host, Mesh Lakani, pop culture enthusiast. Well, Paul, you've got some fun stuff coming up for yourself. Why don't you tell everyone what you're doing next weekend? Thanks, Mesh. So listen, I am, well, I've talked about it a little throughout the episodes. You know, I'm a Philly kid, born in Philly. I haven't lived in there really since I left for college, but my family's still there. My brother's there. A lot of my close friends from growing up are still there. Diehard Eagles fan, Phillies fan, Sixers fan. So the Eagles are in the Super Bowl and I'm headed to Phoenix this week to support the team. And I've never been to a Super Bowl before. A side benefit of that is we also get to see family. Jessica has a lot of family in the Phoenix area. So we're typically there year end anyway. So this is like a little bonus for her. She doesn't really care for the violence and brutality of football, but any excuse to see family she's down for. So it's a win-win. How often do you get to say family lives 10 minutes away from the stadium? I think that's like just so convenient for you. So It should be epic. I mean, win, lose, or draw, it's going to be a good game. But obviously, if they win, it's euphoric. I'm on StubHub right now as we speak, uh, and I'm looking at the 50-yard line Row 10 and tickets are going between 18 and $21,000. Yeah. I mean, those are good seats. And and I've, I think, yeah, you know, yeah. where, where we're at is in the lead up to the game, the tickets will start to spike. I mean, the highest bidder. There's a lot of uber wealthy, successful people that go to the Super Bowl maybe like habitually or every couple couple times and their companies will help them with suites or whatever. So I could see why. At the top end for good seats, it could be 20 grand. But I think decent seats would probably be maybe a quarter of that. I don't know, maybe half. But I'm not, until Better Call Paul takes off, I don't know that uh, I'll be at the 50-yard line. <laughs> well, dude, it's going to be exciting. I'm wishing the Eagles the best. I hope you guys win. That'd be that'd be cool for you. Yeah, we really would be like a euphoric, epic thing to happen. And, you know, another football story this week, not to steal anyone's thunder, but, you know, Tom Brady retired yeah. again. Uh, and I don't mean to say that sort of <laughs> in a frustrating way. I mean, he retired, 
But last year he retired. He only retired for 40 days. Yeah. He says this year he's retiring for good. Uh, as we talked about in episodes 35 and 21 last year, I mean, he is in a class of his own as far as football players, seven Super Bowls, five Super Bowl MVPs, all-time leader in touchdowns, all-time leader in passing yards. Really just an incredibly successful cerebral player. I mean, he was drafted, but he was drafted low, like in the end of the sixth round. So he wasn't sort of anointed. Was a, wasn't he like the 100, 199th pick? Yeah, he was 199th pick, which motivated him. But he, he went to a major program. He was at Michigan. He lost his starting job, but he played well. He had the intangibles, but he was considered slow and, yep. you know, like more of a pocket passer. But he got drafted by Bill Belichick and like the rest of his history. Appeared in one game his rookie season. But then he took over the starting role as a result of an injury to Drew Bledsoe in his second year, and then he never relinquished it. Played 20 years in New England, won six Super Bowls. And Killer. he got divorced from Giselle. Essentially, the reason she cited was him coming back to play last year. Right. But then it's funny because he got divorced midseason, and then he actually retired. You would have thought, and maybe they get back together. Maybe this was just his way out. Who knows? Who knows? One of those weird things. I wonder what he does now. I mean, I, I bet, like, who wouldn't want to watch content with Tom Brady? I feel like they could release multiple documentaries on him. Well, he has that $375 million deal with Fox. He could start collecting on that. It's a good story. So, I mean, he's going to be fine. Yeah, you know, it is. And I'm sure he'll be good at it. But I, I people I talk to in the industry aren't crazy about that deal. Because to hand him that kind of, like, market-breaking... 10-year, almost $40 million a year deal when he has demonstrated no experience as a journalist or like as a broad... I mean, yes, he could be great, but like you really are setting the absolute top of the market. And listen, a lot of former quarterbacks have been great. Troy Aikman, Tony Romo, and in the broadcast booth. But I think it makes sense to sort of let him do it for a year or two. And then if he's really good, give him the big money. But to just give him a 10-year deal... Do you think there's something in the contract? Like, if you suck... Like, we don't get the deal anymore. Or is that like a guaranteed deal? I don't know. I, I would assume it's probably guaranteed. Yeah. Because if it's a two-year deal with eight options, so to speak, then it's not really a 10-year deal. Yeah. And if you're Tom Brady, and when he signed this, this was before he retired the first time, you have other suitors, right? Like NBC, shop ESPN. Yeah. Maybe Amazon makes a big splash or someone makes a big splash to sign you. So there's a market for his services. And, and listen, all his interviews, his, his written work, his podcast, he seems like an eloquent, intelligent guy. I wouldn't be surprised if he's good in the booth, but it's just for people that have been spending their career as journalists who don't make a fraction of that, and I think it's tough for them. I mean, we all get it from a business perspective if you think he's going to bring audience. Yeah, you're Tom Brady. Tom Brady, exactly. And Romo's good. I think Romo's one of the best right now. I've always liked it when they've brought, in general, they when they bring players to be like commentators, analysts. It's worked with every sport from... Soccer, they do it in basketball. Obviously, they do it in football. They do it in MMA. It works. You realize that people are actually quite talented and articulate at explaining things that they've had so much experience playing. They can just explain it in a way that, you know, if you didn't play, you're not going to have that point of view or like real life stories, you know? Yeah, exactly. And that's why I like about Romo, because he will actually, he'll like break down the plays and give you some information and talk about the impact of injuries and it's just, you know, it's informative. I think it makes for a better product. So who knows if he's worth $375 million, but that's the deal. And That's a lot of money. I'm sure he'll be getting into that soon. But he's also got a clothing brand. He's got his supplements and his nutrition and autograph.io. Also, although his FTX 
shares are probably worthless. He's, he's still got a lot going on. Well, and the last thing I'll say about it is um, those deals, I feel like were height of the market, essentially like frothing big media deals. And I think everyone's going to be pulling back on that given, you know, the times and, and cost cutting. And I, I think, and that ranges on everything, like everything from like, we've seen that in VC and tech to like big media deal, deals that like Spotify were doing from what I've been reading, like those deals don't really exist anymore. But who knows? You never know what happens in, in the world of sports. I think that's a, in it, its own category because it's essentially recession-proof. But the companies still need to cut costs. Yeah, they need to cut costs. And if the ad market decreases, then they can't sell you know their inventory for as right. much. They can't justify, in addition to the rights fees, which are locked for the next 10 years, you, know, you have to look somewhere to decrease costs or to bring that down. So maybe it's the talent spend or something else. But you got to make a big bet when you're trying to get the goat and have, bring him on your team. But 10 years just seems like a long, long deal. But anyway. Dude, it's so long. It's so long. It's uh, maybe it is backloaded or something. I don't know. I'd be interested to see. Yeah. Interesting. So we got another story real quick. Gladiator 2 got its announced release date. Uh, Thanksgiving 2024. Dude, so exciting. Set your calendars. I think it's November 22nd. This is a Paramount film. Long-awaited sequel. Ridley Scott directing again. Ridley Scott returning. He's 85. Dang. But he's had a hell of a career. Towards the end of the segment, I think we'll go through our top five Ridley Scott movies. I'm going to put you on the spot, but give you a couple minutes to gather your thoughts. <laughs> so, listen, Avatar 2, 13 years after the original. Gladiator 2 is going to be 24 years after the original, essentially. So, that's a long wait for a sequel. It is. It is. I love the first Gladiator. Well, not the first Gladiator, because I guess Gladiator in and of itself was almost like a, a take on Ben-Hur, but it was Russell Crowe. He was already on his way to becoming a star, but that like sort of made him bona fide Academy Award winning best actor. It won Best Picture, 12 Oscar nominations, five wins. And it really, I mean, it's like a movie that has it all. It's got the intrigue. It's got the historical significance. It's got great acting. Great set pieces, visual effects, amazing story. Beautifully made movie. Right. I remember where I was. I, I was watching, it was with my parents. I watched it in the theaters in London. And, I, and anytime that movie's on TV, I will watch it. And and I think it makes sense for like the the plot is supposed to be, you know, years after where the, the, the story ended. Uh, in that case, Russell Crowe's character, Maximus, dies at the end of the film. And... I guess the story is about Lucius, right? Lucius. Yeah, Lucius, Commodus's nephew. Yes. And he's, I guess he, he'll he be the star of the show. Star of the film. Yeah. So yeah, star, star of the film. There's not much more than that. So like, I don't know what the actual story is, but this is what I hope. I hope it's not like a Wall Street 2 where you wait and wait and wait. And then you're just kind of like, what was this movie given that Wall Street 1 was so beautifully made? So I'm hoping that it's more of like a Top Gun Maverick. They just like. Okay, this is a fantastic sequel. Yeah, I mean that's a high high bar. But yeah, well, look, most sequels most sequels are just good business for a studio. Let's get as much money as possible, whether the movie sucks or not, or maybe we can create a trilogy. I would argue the best sequel ever made was Terminator Two: Judgment Day, on par with Godfather Two, both incredible sequels. And, and of course, The Dark Knight. The Dark Knight. I'm going Winter Soldier. Yeah, I guess Winter Soldier. That makes sense. I, I I see what you're saying there. But like Terminator 2, I think, was the one that was, whoa, this movie was so much better than the original and was so much bigger and killed it. But um, now that gave me some time to think about my top uh, Ridley Scott movies. You go first. OK, I'm going to go Gladiator, 
as one, the Martian, alien, American gangster, Blade Runner. You know, it's interesting. I haven't seen a lot of like, I never saw Alien. I never saw uh, Blade Runner. And I'm not really, you know, I, I think some of these other, like a lot of them worked within that world. But I would say my favorite ones are Gladiator number one. Of course, um, American Gangster. I just love it. I love American Gangster. I thought it was great. And funny enough, Body of Lies with Leo was such a fantastic movie. I don't okay. think it gets the love it deserves, but I love those like CIA thrillers and Leo did a great job in that one. So I like, I, I would say that's my top. Not a fan of the Martian. I like the Martian. Don't get me wrong. I, I it's so funny. I watched it with one, a very good friend of mine and he hated it so much. He was complaining to me in the theater the whole time. Like this guy is such a nerd. Why is he being such a geek? And I'm like, you know, his character is a little bit corny and he distracted me from the whole movie. He's a botanist. I know, he's a botanist. And I, he, the guy kept distracting me from the movie. So then I thought I also hated the movie. And then I rewatched it again. I'm like, this is a great movie. It is a good movie. It's not Interstellar, but it's a good movie. It's not, yeah, it's not Interstellar. But And, and Matt Damon was a little annoying in it, but it was a good movie. I, I, I did like it. And it was cool that Matt Damon then had that role in Interstellar, which is kind of hilarious. Right. Uh, which was like yeah. a secret cameo, you know, where it's almost yeah. like he plays the crazy version of the guy in The Martian. <laughs> There's a world where those two cross over. It's like Interstellar didn't even need that. And then like, here's a twist. <laughs> very No, it was very cool. Yeah, here's a twist. Matt Damon's alive and he's going to kill you, uh, Matthew McConaughey. And he's been lying about the suitability of this planet for however long to trick you. Selfish, to save selfish him. guy. Um, uh, yeah. <laughs> Bad Matt Damon. Anyway, November 2024, Gladiator 2, Hidden Theaters. Get your popcorn ready. I know. Exciting. Let's take a break and let's get back and talk about one of the more anticipated release of films and TV, DC's newly announced slate of film and TV by James Gunn and Peter Safran. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, Paul, so big, big news. James Gunn and, and Peter Safran, who were appointed as the head of the new DCU. Co-CEOs. Co-CEOs, essentially to like create a studio with the IP that DC holds and do essentially what Marvel did, what Kevin Feige did with Marvel. And they've come out and they've announced like the first few projects that they're working on and pretty cool, like completely, completely different. They announced like 10 projects for chapter one. Yeah, it was a lot. What is it called? Ghosts and gods or gods and monsters? Gods and monsters is the chapter. Oh, is that what? It, OK, so I, I missed that. I, I guess they're doing things in chapters versus phases. But look, I liked it. I was reading about it, you know, for this episode and their whole thing, according to James Gunn. And I quote from The Hollywood Reporter. They're going to be using diamond characters like Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman to prop up other characters that people don't know, kicking off with Creature Commandos, which is seven episodes animated show written by James Gunn, which could allow them to potentially spit it off into TV and film. And this is about 
It's like creatures or monsters that are fighting Nazis and a modern day take on it. I don't know if they're still fighting Nazis. I don't know who they're fighting, but yes, it, it, it right, is. Right, right. So like, it's like modern day version of it. So whoever the Nazis right. would be in this new show. It's interesting. that, And I like that Gunn is, is writing that. The second one is going to be Waller, which is obviously the spinoff from Peacemaker starring Viola Davis, which I think Peacemaker was such a hit. Like that was DC's big hit. So that'll be interesting to see. Then they got Superman Legacy, which is not an origin story, but it is sort of like the conflicted Superman. He's got his Kryptonian roots and his humanity that he's got to sort of juggle them. Gunn is writing that one, potentially directing. This is, according to them, the big kickoff of the DCU. They have a date, July 11, 2025. There is a controversy over this when Gunn essentially said that Henry Cavill was not going to be you know, playing Superman in this role. He was never going to be playing Superman in this role. I think that, you know, with whatever Black Adam was doing, that was a separate thing. And he's looking for someone new. I don't think they've announced who Superman is. No, I don't think they know. I don't think they know. And I like for Guardians, I don't think people, I mean, it was up, it was really a test option where Chris Pratt sort of was, I think, Gunn's favorite all along, but it wasn't until. Uh, you know, it was his first opportunity to be a leading star and sort of took him into a whole new stratosphere of acting, you know, from being the sort of like pudgy, funny, dorky guy on Parks and Rec to becoming yeah. a bona fide action star. So who knows? But James Gunn may have some people in mind, but I I suspect that they'll probably look at a few, have a little competition because you're kicking off sort of a major franchise of a diamond character. That's a big deal. Like kicking off the new James Gunn and Peter Safran DCU with a Superman movie. Um, that's exciting. And then after that, they have Lanterns, which is based on, you know, the Green Lantern TV series that has got, it's more of a true detective vibe, which that I looks like. Interesting. I think that, that, could, that could be cool. Not campy, more like, more like authentic. Not, not what Ryan Reynolds did. Yeah. But more dark, little gritty baby. I love the, I love that they just use true detective. I mean, I think season one of true detective is one of the most, um, you know, critically acclaimed shows. It was fantastic. So we'll see what they do with that. Then they have The Authority, which is superheroes with rather extreme methods of protecting the planet. <laughs> and more like anti-heroes. You know what I like about this? And this is where, and I don't know if this was perceived to be, you know, a little shot at Marvel, but um, James Gunn tweeted like a six-minute introduction to this whole right. Uh, slate, right? And Peter Safran was also quoted. And they said, listen, we don't want to stick to the, you know, the tried and true formula of, you know, villain comes in from outer space. Everyone's sort of like wowed and scared, but somehow the good guy prevails in the end. And it's like that same, same, same formula. Sort of formula every time. We want things to be a little bit more ambiguous and complex and, you know, good guys that have bad characteristics and maybe bad guys that have redeeming characteristics. Like, I know you could say, Thanos was sort of, you know, Malthusian and and wanted to preserve sure. the universe's resources, but you know he was like a villain from outer space, and the good guys prevailed in the end. But I like the fact that they're like, hey, we want to tell more complex. Or at least that's what they're saying now. They're like, we want to be a little bit more nuanced about this. Yeah, and I and I think this works well with. I mean, Peacemaker was that John Cena's Peacemaker is kind of an antihero. In the Suicide Squad movie, he's a villain. And then he's like this kind of villain hero in the show. I think it's been proven with shows like The Boys has proven that like anti-heroes, things that are done in extreme ways is very, very popular. And we've also seen that with uh, Amazon's Invincible, 
just a little bit darker, gritty, violent. So I'm, I'm, I'm curious to see that. After that is Paradise Lost, which is, they're saying, Game of Thrones style, based in Wonder Woman's birthplace. It takes place pre-Wonder Woman films. And I like the fact that they said Game of Thrones style. I think that's very appealing. Well, unless I'm mean, the other thing is it's it's sort of easy to say, hey, what we're like, this is like, well, this is our next segment, but it's like chat GPT. Like, yeah. hey, let's take some yeah, DC yeah, characters. Yeah. Let's throw out a popular <laughs> crime show and say, hey, this is like true, true detective meets Green Lantern. This is like Game of Thrones yeah. meets uh, Wonder Woman. This is like. Not to be a DC hater, but I spent six years at Marvel. <laughs> so, like, Kevin built his way to being this badass and was always sort of, like, thinking big picture, but also very focused on the now. And so, you know, you have Hulk, then you have Iron Man, then you have Iron Man 2, then Thor, then Cap, then the Avengers. And it was all planned, but it was sort of planned behind closed doors and it wasn't like he announced right. I mean they did announce the Avengers he built momentum every time so like Iron Man outperformed expectations and Thor and Cap and then like that led to more expectations for Avengers and so I just think that you know yes, yes the guy is a studio head and he's he has a lot of great projects with Guardians and Peacemaker as you said and and a lot of things I mean he, he's a talented guy which we, we discussed before but I just feel like to anoint these next 10 projects be, based on like Nothing is a little premature. Yeah, I mean, look, I think it gets people excited. I think that's what they want to do right now. I would say that one of the mistakes that Marvel did do is that we were all excited about seeing the phases, phase one, phase two, phase three. And right around phase four, I think, which just ended with Black Panther 2, it was just too much. Like, I think a lot of people were like, dude, I don't really care about all these different TV shows. And it was just like overload and... It wasn't, you know, some might say, critics could say, wasn't as executed, you know, as well. And I think I, I read something about phase five, which is, you know, bringing in the big villain again. You got the Avengers coming back, secret invasions. You have Kang. What they, they said there was that we're actually thinking we're going back to quality over quantity, telling the good stories, focusing on the big films and not doing too much, which I do appreciate. I think in this case, DC just doesn't have like our, the bar is so low. The bar is so low that it's like, get people excited. Right, right. And not to interrupt. Like, I mean, we like, got a couple like more projects. I'm not, <laughs> I'll, I'll pair it back. Okay. And so Brave and the Bold is, is the DCU gun saffron take on Batman, which will have a different Batman than the Batman, which is the, the sequel to the Batman is going to have Robert Pattinson, who's a different Batman than the Brave and the Bold. Uh, we'll get into that a little bit later. And then the f the final three projects they've announced, Booster Gold, which is, I like this because this is a guy, sort of an average guy from the future, travels back in time and uses future tech to become a hero. I don't know if you saw It's a Great Show, but it's probably not that widely known called Futurama. Yeah, of course. From the creator of The Simpsons. Yeah, I love Futurama. And that was like your average Joe pizza delivery guy from the year 2000, gets frozen and wakes up in the year 3000. So this is like the inverse of that. So maybe... Peter Safran could say, well, this is like DC meets Futurama. <laughs> yeah, because the head of the writer's room is Chat GPT, which we'll talk about in the, in the next <laughs> thing. And this Chat GPT is just sitting there and being like, I've got it. It's Guy from the Future goes back, HBO series based on that 70s show, but except it's in the 80s. And they're like, yeah, done. Hire him. Greenlight. Mesh, sign, <laughs> sign mesh up. <laughs> 
I don't um, know if Better Call Paul can afford mesh. <laughs> okay, so then there's Supergirl, Woman of Tomorrow. This is the uh, more conflicted super person from Krypton. This is so 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 funny. I'm, I'm, I'm laughing because the, the when I was reading the description of it, she did not grow up coddled the way <laughs> Superman did. She grew up yeah, seeing a lot more misery on a a rock orbiting a chip of Krypton. So not actually the planet. Almost an analogy, like a chip off, you know, she's got a chip on her shoulder. Oh, yeah, exactly. Uh, she's, you know, living on a chip of a rock. Uh, I just read hardcore, saw all her family members die, unlike Superman. It's like, okay, man, this is going to be, I have no idea what this one's going to be. <laughs> I love when I read it, it just, it just said hardcore. So, yeah, um, yeah, badass. Like a Quint It's going to be like a Quentin Tarantino movie. This is like Kill Bill, but she's Supergirl. And then Swamp Thing, final installment, horror film. I'm super excited about this one because I was a big Swamp Thing cartoon fan. I, I just loved Swamp Thing. I thought it was the coolest thing. No, nothing's been done since the 90s with Swamp Thing, so... And this closes out chapter one, which I have no idea how Swamp Thing connects with any no, of this these other no, things. Actually, but, what they said was this This is just all that they're ready to announce from chapter one. It may Chapter oh, one okay, may, okay, okay. may actually be bigger than this. Yeah, because chat GPT is on overload right now and they can't yeah. fill their, their requests. <laughs> <laughs> but so listen, all kidding aside, they need some time to get this chapter one off the ground. So for 2023, they still have the movies that were in place in the prior leadership, Walter Hamada-led studio. So although he stepped down after Black Adam, they still had some projects in place. And so there's Shazam, Fury of the Gods, yep. The Flash, Blue Beetle, and Aquaman in the Lost Kingdom. So that's sort of, th those are like DC Elseworlds along with the Batman yeah, yeah, yeah. and the Joker sequel. So those are things that, James Gunn and Peter Safran can't be blamed for if they're not necessarily successful because they aren't taking any responsibility for them creatively, but they were in process, so they have to move forward. Yeah, James Gunn was saying that they're creating a really high bar for films and TV that's outside the DCU. He also said that The Flash is one of the best superhero movies he ever said. God knows if, that, if that's true or not. We'll, I guess, we'll be finding out soon. And then he said, you know, based on some of the prior stuff that was created and what they're planning on doing, he said, no one was minding the mint. They were giving away IP like they were party favors at any creator who smiled at them. So obviously, I think he's here to, he means business. He's, he's taking it super serious. And um, yeah, we'll find out. if Does he have the eye? So let's see how that works out. But overall, Look, exciting things for Discovery, given that they're going to have this studio dedicated to this IP, and a lot of those series are going to be on HBO Max, and HBO Max makes bangers, man. They make good shows, so, you know, that's a plus. That's a plus. HBO Max, they're killing it right now. Yeah. No, I'm excited, although we're probably going to have to cut this entire... <laughs> no, no, I'm, I'm I'm looking forward to the, to the um, Chapter 1 Gods and... Monsters. Awesome. And we're having fun with it. But yes, the, the main theme of this episode, or I guess you could say main topic, uh, is going to come up after the break, and that is generative AI. So, Paul, we, we kind of hinted with this in the last segment. We're, you know, we're, we're, we're joking about chat GPT, but the truth is, you know, AI and media right now, it's a big, big topic. 
the idea of using you know generative AI as a tool, as a creative tool to lower costs. Obviously, everyone's talking about OpenAI, the company that created Dali and ChatGPT. So Dali, you've obviously probably seen folks on Instagram, people creating these avatars of themselves. They're really beautifully made. And then ChatGPT, the AI that is doing everything from, you know, your research papers, passing the bar, passing the medical exam. People are using it to create stories. And the big announcement. Planning Valentine's Day plan, dates. Planning. I mean, you could, I should be using this to plan, you know, my life. But um, BuzzFeed, Jonah Peretti, the, the founder and CEO of BuzzFeed announced that they're focused on using AI-inspired content to enhance their quiz experiences, informing their brainstorming, personalizing their content, specifically for each audience member. And I think a big piece of that is that it lowers costs because BuzzFeed's so based on user-generated content. Well, they just did layoffs. And they did layoffs. They did, I think it was like a 12% cut. And because of this announcement, the stock doubled 100%. Yeah. I mean, it was... Like less than a dollar, and it's. I know, I know. <laughs> I mean, look, it's been, it's probably it was probably down like over ninety percent. So I think after it doubled, it was still down seventy percent from its back level. Yeah, but yeah. Comcast. I mean, listen, the market. We've talked about this ad nauseum. The markets. Uh, it's improved in twenty twenty three, but it, tech and media are still down from their twenty twenty one highs. Comcast yep. owned something like twenty five percent of BuzzFeed prior to it recently sold six million shares. So it's down to like twenty percent, but. Comcast was early on in investing in BuzzFeed. And yeah, you're right. So they're going to create more content using these algorithms. And then they're presumably, they they inked a multi-million dollar, I think $10 million deal with Meta yeah. to release more content in the feeds of Instagram and Meta, like those cooking videos and, and things that they did, which were really yeah, sort of catchy tasty. and I guess easy to make. And they get a lot of viewership and you can sell like hot plates and cooking utensils and things. Yeah. And then I think Jonah, you're right to quote him. He, he had a really interesting prescient take, I think, which is, hey, for the past era, call it 10 years, 15 years, whatever you want to call it, it's the algorithms that have decided what is presented to us, like what content is presented to us, what's on our For You page, what's trending. And now it's going to be AI and generative AI that's going to not only necessarily run the algorithm that recommends content, but also creates the content. So um, short little phrases, little videos, artwork, things like that can be created in seconds, you know, with these with these algorithms. And I played around a little with Dolly and ChatGPT, and I, I'm very impressed. Honestly, uh, I'm not necessarily concerned, but I'm very impressed. It's a long way from, you know, replacing people, but I think I think it does replace like low cost like content creators. I think it essentially enhances you. It's a tool to be able to enhance brainstorming, creativity, throw a bunch of ideas out there. I think that, you know, the smart smart people will see this as a tool to, you know, use it to some levels scaling content, lower cost. You know, but at the end of the day, a lot of stuff if you're doing like journalism, or you know stuff that's based around fact that's tough because CNET was testing like one percent of their content with AI similar to this, and they had to halt it because half the stories that were be half the stories that were being created contained factual errors or like plagiarized or sections plagiarism. or plagiarism. And a lot of this is it's scraping the internet and it's scraping like free information on the internet and not necessarily behind paywalls, etc. But look, this thing is going to get smarter and smarter and. You know, Sam Altman, famously, who's the founder and CEO of OpenAI, has said, you know, they're working on new versions of this and it's only going to get better. They're going to announce video. And so should Hollywood 
be scared of this. And I think it depends on who you are. I think I was reading an article about writers in Hollywood, and I think smart writers will use it as a tool. They can train it, and other people will potentially just push back on it. I think with anything, it's a good idea to exercise caution and to be concerned about how things can be either misused or overused. And so our society and history is just filled with examples of technology and advances in technology making certain things obsolete, right? So we live in New York City. There was probably a 40 or 50 year period before buildings had elevators that you could just press the button on your own. There needed to be someone in the elevator that would press the button for the floor you wanted to go to. And now you can do that on your own, but it took some time. I think things like self-driving cars will potentially be a real popular, prevalent thing. And I think self-written comedy shows and jokes and whatever creative content will also be a thing. But I just don't know that it will mean everyone's out of a job. I think things will continue to evolve, right? Like there will be still, there still need to be people that sort of air check this and creatively improve upon it. And so it'll be, I think long-term, it'll be a tool in the toolkit and it may, like you said, help in a lot of ways and get you like 80% of the way there on your script or your treatment or your whatever, maybe 5%, 10%, whatever it is, it'll help in on the margins. And it may improve to the point where it makes some writing obsolete, but I think there's still going to be some need for people to sort of work with it totally. and and refine it into creative work. Yeah, I mean, and think about it this way. Think think about if you're like I'm I'm the writer of like CSI Miami, you know. I'm using I'm like listen, I got to come up with 24 episodes of something that we just did like a thousand times before. Chat GPT, give me like 14 potential storylines in this based on like, you know, all the data they've collected over time. They could feed it all the f- previous scripts and they could just like spit out different versions of it. So like, that's a great tool that could be used. Or if you're like a, a comedy writer in SNL, like I need, you know, 10 sketches, maybe they take one or two and then they work on it from there. So I think it's a, I think definitely see it as a tool. The interesting thing from a legal standpoint is, you know, we were talking about this earlier, Paul, if the AI is creating content, is that protected with the copyright? And that seems to be a bit controversial right now. Uh, currently, the U.S. Copyright Office says no. It says that copyright protection, as it's envisioned in the Copyright Act, only applies to original works of authorship written, created by a human. So there is no copyright protection in something that is created by a computer or an algorithm. That may change. And I think that will take maybe some advancements from the courts or Congress to say, hey, copyright protection should include these things. Or where do you draw the line? If if a human uses ChatGPT and they work together to come up with a script, is that protectable? Or is so I mean, there's some gray area there, but to answer your the sort of like hypothetical that you posited, if an algorithm creates a story with no help or a contribution from a human, the US Copyright Office would say that that is not copyrighted. It's not protectable, but it's never going to be that simple. And often we will have, you know, humans that are working together with these algorithms to create something. And maybe then it'll be considered an original work of authorship or co-authorship. But you're right. As of now, one red flag or one cause for concern is that if you're a studio and you invest a hundred million dollars into a movie that was created by an algorithm, like maybe that's not something that you can copyright. And so 
uh, or maybe the underlying work isn't copyrightable. I think the WGA should also be very concerned about sort of the impact of ChatGPT on writers and writers' rooms. And, you know, maybe they make some sort of bold statement like, you know, any right. any WGA member studio can't use chat algorithms or something like that. I, I don't know, yeah. but I think they could be concerned because right now, like they have this market cornered on, on writing. If you want to have a high caliber writer, you need a WGA member in the US. And so that may be something that they're, I'm sure, I'm sure they're looking into it. I don't know if they're taking a position one way or another, but I'd be concerned. And But I think ultimately, and you know, this is not a legal pronouncement, but I, I believe in technology and its ability to transform and advance things. And I think if it frees us up to solve different problems or to work on things in a different way, yeah. then so be it, right? If, if we're making a podcast instead of driving to work, then fine. Like that's maybe that's an advancement. If we are using an army of AI robots to clean carbon out of the air, then maybe that's a good advancement, right? But it could just like, it could be bad too. It could be Skynet, you know? So there's good and bad to, to all of this. Yeah, well, I was reading that CAA, Creative Artists Agency, is keeping a close eye on this. So they they invested in Deep Voodoo, which is a deep fake firm led by South Park's Matt Stone and Trey Parker. They were the guys behind that Kendrick Lamar video that we talked about, uh, the deep fake Kendrick Lamar video that they talked about. Just, it makes things more cost-effective for them and- you know, Matt and Trey are big names in the space. South Park being their hit show. I don't that- know if you remember. I'm a big South Park fan. And they had this show, I think it was in their eighth season, where Cartman turned into a, he put on a cardboard box and pretended to be a robot, Awesome 4000. Yeah, and yeah. he was playing a prank on Butters. But then they went out to LA and he came up with 2,000 movie ideas, eight of 800 of them which involved Adam Sandler. And the studio heads loved him and they wanted to keep him and like use use him to come up with all their movie ideas, but then that's really funny. The government got concerned and thought he was a weapon. So this is like <laughs> you know 10, 20 years before ChatGPT, Osmo so four thousand. These guys are brilliant. They're brilliant. Like they can see the future clearly. What if Adam Sandler was a stapler? <laughs> and they're like hit hit. That is a hit. If that I ever heard one, that is a hit one. machine. Yeah, I know. Well, look, I think interesting. Something that we'll be following. It, it's something that. You know, I'm personally following very closely, so we'll be interested to see what happens. I think to like close out the segment, I have the Hollywood Reporter. Um, the the writers actually used uh, script pitches. Um, so the Hollywood Reporter asked Chat GPT to generate a series of feature film elevator pitches uh, that mix and match established hits. Um, Paul, did you read this? I did. Okay, so the, the, I'll just. I thought the critic was a little harsh. I think I, <laughs> I thought the critic's take was like really trying to defend writers because I don't think their pitches were that bad. No, so I'll, I'll read one, which is pretty hilarious. The pitch: Die Hard meets You've Got Mail. What did Chat GPT come up with? When a group of terrorists take over a high-end Manhattan department store on Christmas Eve, a scrappy small business owner must team up with a tough cop to take him down and save the day all while trading banter and flirting over email. And then <laughs> the critic's note was, small business owner doesn't bring anything helpful here. <laughs> if Meg <laughs> Ryan equivalent were an anti-cop activist, there'd at least be some tension. Hey, that sounds like a great sequel to me. So. Honestly, I think that ChatGPT did a good job. <laughs> I love that. Bantering and flirting over email. Um <laughs> Yeah, like ChatGPT, come up with a better pitch in seconds. I'm sorry, you won't be able to. I know. 
That was it's great. Funny. And it is great. And and I we should be concerned, but we also have to be open-minded and, and try to figure out how we're going to grow our own skill sets and do more complicated things. But ultimately, the machines will surpass us in every way. I'm sure of that. Yeah. Yeah. Look, um, I think the way to it's either get, get on, ride the wave, figure out how to ride the wave, become like a you know, someone who understands how to use the tools. I think people who already know how to like properly like query uh, chat GBT and like insert data to get the best answers. Like they're already ahead of the game. I have a friend who's like obsessed, obsessed, spends like night and day on chat GPT. And already I would say that's the equivalent now of like back in the day, if you knew how to use Excel really well, great. You're like better than like most of your classmates when you're applying for a job at a bank or something. Um, or if you're able to use like Notion and all these tools, like these are tools become great at them. The writers and people who are creating in, in, in Hollywood, you know, if they get good about using this, I think it's going to set them apart. Obviously, we've already seen it from from Matt Stone and Trey Parker. So um, I'm curious to see who else jumps on. The other thing I think it could do is I think it could help like a small budget, smaller shop punch above its weight in terms of coming up with like yeah. really good content without spending, you know, a fortune on writers or, you know, artists. It may make things more accessible, but there's going to be disruption for sure. Like when we have self-driving cars and self-driving trucks, a lot of people that drive cars and trucks are probably going to need to find a different thing to do. Right. And that will also inevitably happen to some degree. But I think overall, it'll probably be net positive because it'll free us up as an economy to do more productive work. Yeah, 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 for sure. Well, look, this was this was a fun one, Paul. This one we we let loose a little bit. So <laughs> uh, but that's our show for this week, folks. Uh, make sure you're subscribed to us on uh, the podcast, Apple, Spotify, wherever you choose to listen. At Better Call Paul, the podcast on Instagram. Follow me at Mesh Lacani on Twitter. Better Call Paul is produced and edited by Valentino Rivera. Paul, have a great time at the Super Bowl, and we'll see you all next week. Thanks, everyone. Take care. <laughs>